The cause of death inflicted by crucifixion was suffocation, the inability to breathe anymore. In so-called mercy, those who administrated the execution by crucifixion would sometimes uh, break the legs of the crucified person because as he was hanging near death on the cross, struggling to breathe because suffocation was near, there would be much pain involved in pushing himself up by his feet and legs to get enough room in the lungs for one or two last breaths. And so mercifully, they would break the legs of a crucified person. Of course, they didn't break the Lord Jesus' legs in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy as the lamb for sinners slain, the ultimate Passover lamb that had no broken bones. Another thing they would do to be merciful as they made sure someone died by crucifixion was they would build a bonfire near the foot of the cross and that campfire smoke would hasten suffocation. Yes, it was suffocation that killed a person who was crucified. But before that suffocation took the life, of course, there was tremendous agony, profound exhaustion, and serious dehydration. Speaking aloud in that physical condition from the cross would have been especially difficult for our Lord and Savior. And yet, in strength and courage and love, he's recorded in the scriptures to have said seven things at seven instances from that cross while he was suffocating. While it would be tremendously difficult for him to say one thing, he said seven things for us all these centuries to know what he said. And of course, these last words of our Savior from the cross are especially meaningful. Last words of anyone who dies has, have meaning usually, but here in the most profound death of all deaths, the last words of our crucified Savior must be given serious consideration and response. These words that Jesus spoke reveal much of his heart and much of his salvation's hope. The first thing the scriptures records that our Lord said from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Luke, the gospel writer in chapter 23, verses 33 and 34, mood of the Holy Spirit writes, and when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Clearly, our precious Savior didn't want revenge. In fact, he wanted the opposite. He wanted his killers to be forgiven by his Father. Even in such pain, even in such shame, the Lord Jesus thought of others' needs ahead of his own needs that were profound because he was living out what the New Testament later gives to us as followers of Christ, 
that should be our deportment, our attitude, our outlook. Jesus lived this out before any letter was written to the church of Philippi. But in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, the church, you and I, are told this. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own needs, but also for the needs of others. When the Lord Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The Lord Jesus Christ was putting the interests even of his executioners before his own interests. That is love worth copying. And so let me ask myself and let me ask you, my brothers and my sisters, how do we process others' needs alongside of our own needs? And is that processing of our own needs while we are aware of others' needs, is that not made more difficult and messy when we feel our particular needs at times of great pain and suffering? Sure it does. It requires Holy Spirit filling of us, controlling of us, changing us to be more like Jesus. And so his first saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do, was born and came out of his heart to esteem others more highly than himself. Even from the cross. Saying too, the second thing our Lord said while on the cross, assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. We know that the account tells us that one of the Criminals sacrificed on the cross, one on either side of Jesus, stopped his mocking and asked Jesus to remember him. He expressed a faith in the Lord Jesus as God. And Jesus turned his head, perhaps, to that repentant thief and said a most amazing theological thing. Assuredly, not maybe, assuredly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Luke 23, verses 39 to 43. Then one of the criminals who were hanging blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and save us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then Jesus said to him, after he said he's done nothing wrong, rather the criminal punctuated his statement with this statement to the Lord. Lord, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today 
you will be with me in paradise. If saying number one, namely, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do, demonstrates our Lord's putting others' needs ahead of his own needs, then saying number two, namely, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise, reveals our Lord's divine authority. Specifically, the statement speaks to the Lord Jesus Christ's divine authority to forgive sins. Only God can do that. Secondly, his statement to the repentant thief revealed his divine authority to admit someone into heaven. Only God has that right. Our Lord didn't have to seek any other authority or ruling. He himself had the required divine authority to forgive and the required divine authority to make someone fit for heaven. And of course, that divine authority resided in him because he was God incarnate. 100% deity fused to 100% humanity. Of course, there are many examples, but I'll pick one. Before the cross, in Jesus' public earthly ministry, Christ's divine authority to forgive sins was on full display in the action which Matthew 9, 1 through 8, reports for us. Listen. So, he got into a boat, crossed over and came to his own city, Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once, one of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house, And when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. Of course, Jesus' point was, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or walk when you've never walked in your life? Of course, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, because, you know, that's invisible. But to show that the sins were, in fact, forgiven, he told the man who never walked before, walk. And when they saw the man, the paralyzed man walking, they knew the other side of the coin was also true in Jesus' claim to be able to forgive his sins. And so this demonstration of Jesus Christ's divine authority to forgive sins and ultimately to admit someone into heaven was on full display in the earthly work of his ministry. But here on the cross, it was on full display when he told that repentant thief Today, assuredly, you will be with me 
in paradise. And so, in light of Jesus Christ's authority and right to forgive sins, we who call him Savior, we who call him Lord, we who run to his refuge of his sacrificial finished work once for all time, the just for the unjust, we who know him and love him and serve him and obey him, we must keep short accounts when it comes to our sins. When we are made aware of our sins, sins of thought, sins of word, or sins of deed, when we become aware of that through the Holy Spirit directly or through the Holy Spirit pointing out our sin through another human being, oftentimes our mate, (laughs) keep short accounts with God. Don't be like the country family that had the, went to the general store like in Walton's Mountain and put sugar on their tab and put flour on their bill and had this huge grocery bill at the end of the month. Don't be like that. When you sense you have sinned, keep a short account and go to the cross. Agree with God. Call your sin what it is and accept the promised forgiveness that Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross assures you. If we confess our sins, he's faithful, not fickle. He's just, he has judicial basis to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we keep short accounts as believers. We confess our sins promptly. We confess our sins thoroughly. We confess our sins specifically. And we, we confess these sins, and then we must follow up the confession of those sins with repentance over those sins. My parents sometimes would say to us, kids, don't tell us that you love us. Merely show us that you love us. Saying three, Jesus from the cross, part A, looking at his mother, woman, behold your son. Looking at the apostle John, behold your mother. John 19, 25 to 27. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw, therefore, his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that is John, the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. These touching, human statements reveal that our Lord Jesus took excellent acceptance of his human responsibility to ensure his mother's care after his death. I mean, after all, Jesus' foster father Joseph was long dead by this point. The Lord Jesus was the firstborn son to Mary. He had a cultural, societal, religious duty, a responsibility to care for his mother. And as he died on the cross, he knew he would have to have a surrogate, humanly speaking, to care for his mommy. He turned to her with reference to John, 
Woman, behold your son. To John, behold your mother. The Savior lived up to his human responsibilities in his family. Certainly the criticism sometimes levied against us as evangelicals, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. She's so heavenly minded, she's no earthly good. That adage and criticism did not in any way, shape, or form apply to the Savior. He recognized his human responsibilities and he cared for them before he died. Our perfectly responsible Lord Jesus. Saying for, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27, 45 and 46. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is important to note that Jesus Christ did not become a sinner on the cross. But he did become the bearer of our sins when he was on the cross. Let me illustrate. I have citizenship in Canada and the United States. I have a passport for Canada and I have a passport for America. My wife has only citizenship in the United States, so Beth only has an American passport. If I ask Beth to put my Canadian passport in her purse, she does not become a Canadian. She simply carries my Canadian passport. When the Lord Jesus Christ carried all your sins in mind, past, present, and future, he did not become a sinner. He merely bore and carried our sins. He substituted for us. He died the death that we all deserve to die so that he could give us the life we could never achieve on our own, his life. The just substituted for the unjust. The sinless substituted for the sinner. And Jesus Christ on that cross, suffocating, absorbed the wrath of his Father God, which we deserved to experience. And the Lord Jesus was treated as though he was guilty of our sins. During the hours when the Lord Jesus was on the cross dying, bearing our sins and suffering the experience of God the Father's righteous and just wrath, he felt abandoned by his heavenly Father. And that, I would submit, is the greatest suffering of all the suffering that day. While he carried your sins and mine, he felt estranged temporarily from his heavenly Father. He felt separated in his eternally perfect former relationship in the Trinity, the triunity of God. He felt a distance between he and his father that he had never felt ever before that, ever. My God, 
my God, why have you forsaken me? Spurgeon said of that moment in human history when the day went dark, Spurgeon said it was midnight at midday. It became midnight at midday. The daytime turned to night. The sun created and put in its place by the word of the creator's mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ, that the sun refused to shine as he bore your sins and mine. The earth quaked with such an earthquake that the graves in the oldest and largest Jewish cemetery that lined the Palm Sunday descent into the Kidron Valley, certain believers' bodies were resurrected from the dead and walked around Jerusalem because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. The temple curtain before it was hung between the one part of the holy part of the temple and the most holy of holy parts of the temple, this curtain was hung when the temple was built and they made sure, humanly speaking, the curtain could not rip or tear. How did they do that? Josephus, the historian, tells us they hitched workhorses to each side of that curtain and tried to rip it before they hung it. The horses couldn't rip it. But when the Lord Jesus bore your sins, when the Lord Jesus carried my sins, Daytime went dark, graves opened up for the dead. And the temple curtain, the unrippable temple curtain, ripped from the top, God did it, to the bottom. Access for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ that we still enjoy, access to the throne of grace to find grace to help in our time of need, was made possible. He was forsaken so that we could be forgiven. It might have been suffocation included on the death certificate of our Savior, but I think you also could have added a broken heart. Jesus died with a broken heart. His love for the Heavenly Father, his Father was so great that any feelings of being made distant from him, even for a time, were almost unbearable to Jesus. John 1.18 talks about that eternal, intimate, close, perfect relationship within the Trinity. John wrote, No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of of the Father, tender, close, loving, intimate. The only begotten Son who was in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. And so it's staggering that the perfect, eternal, mutual intimacy and love and knowledge within the Godhead temporarily was broken and severed because He carried your sin. He carried my sin. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the one hand, Jesus' question tells the story of sin bearing. And on the other hand, Jesus' question tells the story of the loving triunity of the Godhead. 
saying five from the cross, two words. Jesus said, I thirst. John 19, 28 and 29. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled the sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. These words, I thirst, remind us that our Savior had true humanity. He was God, but he was also man. Hours in a blazing hot Palestinian sun, laboring for every single breath on the cross, only being offered sour wine mixed with myrrh earlier in the event, which he refused. The Lord Jesus had to be parched. He had to be dehydrated. I looked up some medical symptoms of dehydration. Thirst, light-headed dizziness, fatigue, dry mouth, headache, weakness, high heart rate, low blood pressure, muscle cramps, chills. I think it likely that by the time our Savior said, I thirst, he was experiencing some or all of those symptoms of dehydration. And because the scriptural record records that he says, I thirst, it ought to comfort and encourage us that he understands us when our human needs press in upon us. He's a high priest who is acquainted with with what it means to be human. He understands and he cares. And so in We can cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. Saying six, it is finished. Jesus said, it is finished. John 19, verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. This is one word, as you would know in the Greek, tetelestai. The word means the work is complete. It was a commercial word. Merchants wrote that word on their paid off invoices. It was the modern day equivalent to saying paid in full. No additional payment for your sins is required, Christian. Christ's blood payment was the propitiation to God the Father for all of your sins. Propitiation defined, propitiation is the work of Christ's blood that satisfies all the claims of divine holiness, righteousness, and justice so that God is free to demonstrate his love, mercy, and grace to sinners. I'm going to read that again. If you know Christ as Savior, you have had your sins propitiated. What does that mean? Propitiation is the work of Christ's blood, which satisfies all of the divine claims of holiness, righteousness, and justice, so that God is free to demonstrate his love, mercy, and grace to you and me as sinners. So we don't have to wonder. We don't have to doubt. And we certainly don't have to worry. 
because our full sin debt has been fully paid by our Savior Jesus. Your past sin, your present sin, and even your future sin have all been paid for in full by the once for all time sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ's blood. Hallelujah. Let's review. First saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. This is the saying that reveals our Lord's other's orientation and prioritizing their needs over his. Saying two, assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This saying reveals the divine authority our Lord has to forgive sins and grant entrance to heaven because he's God. Saying three, woman, behold your son, behold your mother. This particular pair of sayings demonstrates our Lord's acceptance of his full human responsibility. Saying four, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This particular saying points out to the broken heart of our Savior as he bore our sins. Saying five, I thirst. This saying reminds us of the Lord Jesus Christ's true humanity. And saying six, it is finished, teaches us that we have assurance as believers that all of our sins are fully forgiven. All of our sins are fully atoned for. All of our our sins have been paid for. The sin debt that we owed to holy God for each and every sin, each sin debt has been paid by the Lord Jesus for us. And now let us consider the seventh and the last saying that our Lord is recorded to have said from the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke 23, 44 to 46. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Please know Our Savior was not a victim. He was a volunteer. Our Savior was not killed. He laid down his own life. Our Savior was not out of control. He was in full control. Our Savior was not unclear about what should happen with his spirit when he died. He was crystal clear about that. Our Savior didn't have his spirit taken from him. He gave his spirit up to his father's care. This very precious point in time was anticipated by our Lord and Savior when he said ahead of the cross, John 10, 17 and 18, Jesus said, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. In this very remarkable moment when Jesus commended his spirit as he died in physical death on the cross, this very remarkable and holy moment is what Hebrews 9 verse 14 was talking about when the writer says, how much more shall the blood of 
Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? One Good Friday service, each one of you and me. Seven sayings by our Savior from his one cross. So I have one question, and it's this. Will you respond to this cross as a Pharisee or as a tax collector? Luke 18, 10 to 14. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. How do we receive the seven sayings from the cross, Good Friday, 2023, like the Pharisee? No, like the tax collector. Amen? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we worship you for your other's orientation, for your desire to see sinners forgiven, for your divine authority. We worship you for the human responsibility you accepted, for your broken heart, for your true humanity, and for your certain and full payment for all of our sins. We worship you. And Lord Jesus, we want to be profoundly changed, profoundly changed by your other's orientation, your desire to see sinners forgiven, your divine authority. We want to be profoundly changed by how you accepted human responsibility, how you welcomed a broken heart, how you were truly human, and we want to be profoundly changed by the certain and full payment you have made for us as believers for all of our sins. These are our prayers as forgiven tax collectors. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.